When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Lucky Let Cord Podcast, a Tennis Now production sponsored by Tennis Express and a proud member of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I am your host, Chris Otto. Happy to be with you. Monday, January 29th, still experiencing Australian Open hangover slash withdrawal symptoms. The finals are concluded. The champions have been crowned. Yannick Sinner is the first time Grand Slam champion. The Italian defeats Daniil Medvedev in the men's singles final. He becomes the first Italian to win a Grand Slam singles title since 1976. On the women's side, it was a brilliant performance from Arena Sabalenka. She wins her second major title, completing a successful title defense in Melbourne, the first woman to do so in Australia since Victoria Azarenka in 2013. Sabalenka did not drop a set in the tournament, and she took out China's Zheng Qinwen in the final. It was a remarkable fortnight. We've got Tennis Now editor Richard Pagliaro and Tennis Now contributor Eric Goodris here to break down what we saw over the last two weeks, go over the highs, the lows, the implications as we look forward to the rest of the 2024 tennis season. Always good to chat with my two tennis compadres. Let's get to that interview right now. Eric and Richard, let's talk some Australian Open. How about that? Let's do it. Great to talk to everyone again. Yeah, it's great to speak with you guys. Hopefully I'm not as dazed and confused as during the uh, sleep-deprived AO, but it was a great, great tournament. <laughs> yeah, it was fun, right? I-, I talked to someone yesterday out of the blue, and they're like, wasn't that much of a, wasn't that good of a tournament? And I'm like, I never think of it that way. I just get into everything that's happening, all the storylines, and it always seems like it's incredible. I mean, I don't know what could... Is there anything we could be disappointed about from this Australian Open? I think no, but anyway. Well, I would say one thing, but very briefly, again, not to kick off with something disappointing, but the the late the late night, early morning matches, which, again, has, a lot has been talked about, what to do. Um, I don't think it's just an issue with the Australian Open. I think it's been discussed. It's an issue for a lot of tournaments, so... Uh, it keeps happening. I don't know what's going to be done about it, but it's certainly something that we're going to probably be discussing throughout the year. Yeah, no, you wrote about it, Eric. And for anybody who hasn't had a chance to read Eric's piece, it's up there at tennisnow.com. Maybe we'll repromote that one today on Twitter. But good point. And you think about the final. Not only was it Daniil Medvedev struggling to you know, deal with the fact that he's he's played over 24 hours on court, but a lot of his finishes were extremely late, tough to rebound from that kind of stuff, and it might explain his performance in some of the matches, why he had t- struggles against Zverev early. You know, it's tough for the guys. It's a disadvantage for some players. It's not a level playing field all the time. It creates a lot of chaos and a lot of unknowns, and I think you're right. It's 
I mean, it's maybe one of these things that's really difficult to fix with trying to pack in all these Grand Slam matches, especially this year when we had a record 35 or tying for the record with 35 five-setters. Pretty interesting. I don't know, if, Richard, if you have any thoughts on that. or I mean, what can they do? What, reducing the amount of matches on the um, on Rod Laver Arena or just be more open to a curfew type of thing like Wimbledon has. And if, if there is a situation like this, maybe moving matches around. I mean, it's tough with the TV obligations and whatnot. Yeah, I think you hit it right on the net. It's the TV that makes it tough because normally you would say, well, just start an hour earlier or start 45 minutes. You really can't sometimes because of the TV contracts. I, You know, the interesting thing, you guys raised Medvedev, I was thinking about after everything that happened, it's sort of the unfortunate irony that people are going to dwell on, you know, well, this guy is the first guy in the history of tennis to lose two major finals from up two sets. But in a way... You know, to me, he showed what a really ultimate fighter he is just to get to that point. Well, like you said, having to play till three, you know, not getting sleep till 5 a.m. or something, all those five setters, it's kind of unfortunate that he's going to get tagged as well. You know, he can't close on the big one when just fighting to get to that point was a real heroic effort in, in my view. Yeah, I like that point. I mean, I didn't plan on starting with the men's final, but, I mean, since you kicked this off, Richard, I think I feel like – yeah, the casual viewer is probably going to look at that record and, and maybe some people even inside tennis and say like, oh, this guy's got got um, you know issues closing matches or whatnot. But we, I think anybody who watched closely knows that fatigue had set in. If he was fresh, it might have been a completely different outcome. And I think I was so impressed by Daniel Medvedev's effort all the way through that tournament. Yeah, maybe he hurts himself by maybe the way he plays the game. Maybe he plays a bit much of a too too grinding of a style of tennis and having to play five three setters to get to the final having to come back from two sets to love down twice but remarkable um uh, dedication to craft and like a determination just just a steel will and I, I found it so impressive and but i mean we before these tournaments start we always talk about like we look at the draw and we say he could get banged up a little bit on the way to the final and if he comes in there and he played too much tennis it could end up backfiring and that's exactly what happened to medvedev here and that's part of the art of winning a grand slam and you look how quickly yannick sinner took care of his business even facing the number 5 ranked player in the world in the quarters and then the greatest Australian Open player ever in the semifinals. He took care of his business swiftly, and that's why he had the energy to win that final. It's it's like a really nuanced final and comeback that like you wouldn't – you need all the context to really understand what happened in this final. Now I'll let Eric uh, say his two cents on, on, this, on this tremendous uh, final, which was just um, captivating in so many ways. Yes, it was. I mean, for me, it was captivating because Medvedev started out with a different game plan. He was camped on the baseline instead of way behind the baseline. He was going toe-to-toe with center, and it was that was working, yeah. right? And then I think perhaps because of fatigue, like you said, because, uh, I mean, it almost felt like uh, Medvedev was going to take it in three sets, but... Uh, I think once Sinner got that third set, then thing, the tide turned, and then Medvedev started going back to his old ways, and Sinner, to his credit, uh, didn't... He could have faded. I mean, he could have totally, like, oh, I'm down two sets to love. It's my first major final. It's it's all overwhelming for me, and he didn't. He really responded, and it was uh, 
very impressive to see, uh, especially after beating Djokovic in the semis. He could have just been like, wow, I'm in the final. I beat Djokovic. He could have been satisfied with that in some ways, but he wasn't. And for someone who's so young, um, it's it's great to see. And it's great to see uh, there was so much talk about, you know, who's going to come after Federer and Nadal and Djokovic whenever Djokovic ultimately moves on. And we now have this, this great uh, group here, Sinner, uh, uh, Medvedev, Alcaraz, uh, that, uh, are, you know, the, the generations always respond. We go through this every time when there's one generation comes to an end. Oh, what's going to happen? Well, the next generation always responds, and that's what we're seeing right now. Yeah, we are definitely seeing it. I mean, and we haven't even seen the arrival of Holger Rune, and we may or may not see that. But, Richard, I, uh, before, we, before I ask you a question about that, I will say that Sinners, um, some, st- some of the stats are really mind-blowing, I mean, particularly for Italy, the first uh, Italian men's singles Grand Slam champion since 1976. And, and as, as Eric alluded to, it's the first... Um, Australian Open final without a big three member since 2005. That was Hewitt and Safin. And, of course, he's the first Australian Open men's singles champion not in the big three since Stan the Man Farinka in 2014. So a little bit of a changing of the tides there. And, of course, you want to talk changing of the tides. We saw it in the semifinals, the way that Sinner was able to handle Djokovic for the third time in their last four meetings. That's a really big and important event right there. And it'll be interesting to see if those guys meet again how Djokovic is going to respond, what he has left, because you know he wants to, he'll, you know he'll want to gain that upper hand back, finish the year number one and all that good stuff, but I don't know if he has it in him at his age right now, and it's very it's very interesting. So, so Richard, um, pretty amazing, that final. Like, and, and with Sinner, I think in the back of his mind, I think I knew, he knew that he had to bide his time and there might be a window. He knew that Medvedev might hit a wall, and I think that's what maybe helped him cling so close and hang so tough in that third set. And then when he turned the corner, I think you just saw everything change. You saw the, the pace of the ball coming off a of sinner's racket um, had switched, and was now, he was now hitting a harder, firmer ball than Medvedev. He was moving better. The explosive movement that Medvedev had shown pretty much throughout the tournament was a little bit dissipated. It was just crazy to see all this go down right, right in front of our eyes, wasn't it? Astounding performance, and, you know, just to keep with the stat theme that you that you really touched on the two stats that just blew me away from this tournament number one is that he's now 10 of his last 11 against the top five he's 10 and one in his last 11 matches against the top five and the other stat was when he really pounded novak in the semi like you said you know the greatest australian champion australian Open champion ever the great the grand slam king i mean he pounded him and to not face the break point. I mean, to do it as he did it on surface against the greatest returner I've ever seen in my life. I mean, it that just blew me away. The fact, the way that he did it, it wasn't like he was trying to play like Isner or Kyrgios. Let me try to land the serve on the line. No, he was playing with margin. He was moving him. He was creating the angles. He was going down the line. He was beating him. He beat Djokovic by playing like Djokovic. I mean, he out Djokovic Novak. I mean, he just beat him at his own game. He did it with margin. He didn't take crazy risk or go for crazy winners. He came out there saying, I can beat this guy down playing baseline tennis. And that's exactly what he did. The serving performance, just, that just blew me away. Nobody does that to Novak Djokovic, especially at the Australian Open. So, yeah, it's a historic performance, no doubt. Yeah, he's uh, 
He's a pretty remarkable player. I, I heard somebody describe him as not flashy. I guess my my definition of flashy might be different than other people's. Maybe flashy t- to some people would mean like he's not a showman. But to me, his game is flashy because it blows my mind. Like I just sit there and groan at the the sound of the ball off his racket and the pace that he hits with and the way he moved, especially in that Djokovic match. His movement was better than Djokovic's. And you talk about the serve and being able to shut down the greatest returner. But I saw a guy that was moving better than one of the greatest movers of all time. And Sinner isn't really known by many of us as the great mover. He was just so on point in that match. That was just fantastic. Absolutely. And Brad Gilbert made a really good point toward the end of the tournament where he said Yannick Sinner has the best running forehand in the sport, no doubt, right now. And, you know, I was thinking about that. I got to agree with him because if you look, some of those rallies with Djokovic, he just flat out beat him in the forehand of forehand. And then at the end with Medvedev, if you look at the break, the forehand he hit to break him in the fifth set and then the match point forehand. I mean, those are just laser beams. I don't care who you I don't care if you're Djokovic, Borg, Nate. Nobody is running that ball down. I mean, the guy's hitting late. He's hitting rockets down the line, but they're not. It doesn't look like outrageously risky. It's like within the realm of what he can do. So that was really, really impressive that he, two of the best ball strikers, he took them apart on the forehand when it mattered. And, and, and that was really astounding. Yeah. Eric, um, staying on the men's for another few seconds, what do you think Medvedev can do better or needs to do better to get over this hump? Or, or is he maxing out at what we saw at this Australian Open? No, I don't think it's maxing out, but I think, as we discussed, I think it's part of it is he gets bogged down in these long matches because of his playing style. And we saw in the final that he can he can change. He can get right on the baseline and, and be more aggressive. But if he would do that in the earlier rounds and get through these earlier rounds easier – then he'll have enough left. He's he's increasing incredible shape. Of course he is. But yeah. playing back to back five sets, I mean, that will drain anybody. Yep. So I think he's got to incorporate more of this uh, more aggressive style in the earlier rounds, so that when he gets to the final or semifinal, he's not like, drawing on the reserves. So that's got to be something he's got to to think about with his team. Uh, moving forward. Yep, I like that. I mean, he's been a great performer on the hard courts. I mean, just he's always there in the hard court majors. And I, but I, but I think you're right about that, Eric. I think he's good enough at changing tactics. He's enough of a tennis chameleon that he should try that in these opening round matches. Guys that he's probably going to beat anyway. Why not try? Why not give it a shot and see that way he doesn't end up going. 24 hours and 17 minutes on court. The Grand Slam record for for hours and minutes spent on court for Medvedev. Do you think something similar to that, Richard? Yeah, I do. I just think the challenge for him is, like you said, he he showed he can do it, but that's still not his natural game. He's more like a guy that really wants to suffocate you, strangulate you with these long rallies, and he's just more comfortable – to me, from that return position. Although, like Eric said, I mean, he definitely showed he can do it. I just think that they're, to me, someone like Sinner or Alcaraz, they have more upside in that 
their transition games are better to me, and they're they're just better net players. Yep. And part of that is just the size that you know they're more maneuver. They can maneuver out of the corners better. They're more agile. It's not his fault. He's six six. He's a big guy. Yeah. But uh, I, I don't know. I, the interesting thing about him is if you look at his five set record, it's under five hundred. Yet if you ask me who's one of the best problem solvers and best adjusters in the game i would say medvedev is one he's not the best but he's one of them so i have a lot of respect for his tactical acumen but if you look at his five set record i think it speaks to what you both just said is that the early rounds they take such a toll out of him he's like seven and nine or seven and ten lifetime in five setters so it's not a good thing for him and also the pressure for me on him is compounded because to me he's never going to be a guy that's going to win the French Open. So he's not going to be a big title uh, to me. I don't think that's going to happen for him. So these hardcore majors are really much more important for him because you look at these other guys like Alcaraz, Djokovic, and uh, to me even Sinner, they're going to be multi-surface. I mean, Djokovic already is, but those other guys are going to do it. They're going to contend on every service. I don't think that's the case for him. Yeah, you make good points. Um Interesting to see. Still 27 years old still and, and really close to winning these majors. Now he's been in six major yeah. finals. And then so. that was his sixth, I think, in his last 10 hardcore major finals. He's just been in six of the last 10. Also, I just want to say one quick thing. He showed me, I have so much respect, the, the class he showed losing that match. I mean, that's a brutal loss. And you contrast that with two years ago against Rafa where he really got kind of snippy with the crowd. He wasn't happy that they were so pro. But this match, he showed so much courage and class afterward. I, I was really proud of the way. Not only that he could competed but the way he conducted himself his interview everything he was really really classy yeah and i will say this uh, regarding medvedev's five setters seven and ten is the overall record but he lost his first six so since right. since losing those first six he's pretty much been solid at seven and four had a four match winning streak in five setters including three at this australian open going into the final with with sinner and and i feel like you know, he didn't lose that match because of his ability to deal with pressure. I think it was more fatigue from, you know, the previous matches. So I feel like he's all right in five setters, but that's another subject for another time. Uh, before we move on to women, and I can't wait to do that, by the way. And I wanted to start with them, but but we got off track. Um, big four, rankings pretty compressed right now at the top. Guys are closing the gap on Novak. Novak's still at number one, Alcaraz still at number two, but now you've got Sinner getting within striking distance, and of course you've got Medvedev as well. Eric, how do you think this plays out? If you want to put your prognostication cap on for the rest of the season, do we have another year-end number one Djokovic finish, or finish, or do you think it might be somebody else? I'm going to say right now it's going to be somebody else. Who that is, I'm not sure yet. Um, I think for Novak right now, it's more about the majors. It's more about the major titles. And if he ends up number two, number three, but you tell him that you'll win another one or two more majors this year, he'll take that. Yeah. Because for him now, it's all about legacy, more so than the year in number one. Um, as far as who that's going to be, I don't know, because I think there's so many variables right now. I think so many of these young guys are still um, – they're they're learning and they're developing as we watch them. So it's uh, it'll be fascinating to see kind of how it plays out. I'll be interested to see how Sinner is at the French Open because I think there's going to be a lot more expectation on him now as there should be because now he's won a major. They're going to people are going to expect more yeah. from him. Um, so I think that's going to be interesting to watch uh, in the, the clay court swing. Yeah, Richard, thoughts on the, on the year end number one? I know it's a long way. I would largely you. agree with what. 
what Eric said to me, and it's not an indictment on Novak, because I'm still a big, big believer in Novak. He is 36. But I think if you told him, if if he sat with us right now and you told him, hey, you're not going to win the Australian Open, but you're going to win the Olympic gold that you've never won, yeah. and you're going to regain Wimbledon, I think he would be more pumped up about that. Obviously, he wants to get the 25th major but um yeah it's it, i don't think he really i don't think number one is going to be the driving force for him this year i yeah. think the, getting the 25th slam and winning the gold are the the priorities so and also just to just if you look at the math he just has a ton more points to defend than someone like center so if center was able to sustain this kind of level or even alcaraz was able to stay healthy i could see one of those two sort of uh surpassing him but you know we're a month into the season i think it's it's just too premature at yeah. this point but, yeah. uh, and like Eric said, also, you have to see how Sinner responds as being now the guy, because right now you can make an argument he is the best player, despite being number four in the world, just on, based on the quality of play in recent months. Not only this win, but the Davis Cup win was historic also. Yep, yep, that's, that was huge. Yep, for sure. Um, so let's let's uh, take a look at um, Novak didn't get to defend his title, and that's a surprise for many, 10-time Australian Open champion, but Irina Sabalenka did defend her title, which is pretty remarkable. First successful title defense for on a women's singles at the Australian Open and since Victoria Azarenka in 2013. I mean, she just tore through this draw, didn't drop a set. I think one of five players to win the Australian Open title without dropping a set since 2000 was just such an impressive performance. Eric, how do you sum up what arena was able to achieve at the Australian Open this fortnight um is it something you expected or are you a bit surprised what is your overall takeaway um i guess i was a little bit of both um but certainly a very satisfying very comprehensive performance for her throughout the fortnight i think there were a few questions as we all thought there might be about her entering as a defending champion she'd never done that before how would she handle the pressure? Uh, but she just sort of went about her business, got through all those matches, and uh, just was impressive from start to finish. And I think that was uh, what was impressive to me, especially the the semifinal with Coco, which for many was the unofficial final. Uh, all due respect to all the other women involved. Mm -hmm. And that match... Um, was close. It was a good match, but she handled that from start to finish as well. Um, so just very impressed. And now I'm be curious to see how she approaches the rest of the season. And now she's defended the title. She's got, she can relax in some way. She doesn't have to think about that and she can focus on the other majors. So I'll be fascinated to see kind of what she does moving ahead. Yeah. Richard, talk to me about arena. Um, the way she did it, the way she got through that match with Goff, of course, exercising a few demons from the 2023 U.S. Open final. How impressed are you with her performance? If I had to use one word to sum it up, I would use commanding because what she did that was so brilliant, and we always talk about her physical ability, but in this case it shows her, her mental sharp awareness. She took the role of defending champion and she just turned it into all-out attack. I'm not going to defend anything. I'm just going to attack you and obliterate you from the first match. So by the time you get to me, you're already... I mean, Zhang was already, to me... I mean, it's understandable. She's 21 years old. It's her maiden major final. To me, she was already, like, just by what she saw across the net. I mean, she was down so quick. But, uh, yeah, I think commanding that she knew exactly what she had to do in contrast to what we were talking about earlier with 
with Medvedev where he really lost his legs before that fourth and fifth set of the final. He lost the legs in all those five-set battles. She didn't want to deal with that. She didn't want to deal with the questions, with the pressure, so she just steamrolled everybody until Coco, and then that was a really moment of truth, and she played beautifully in that one, and she was great in the finals, so total respect for her to 14 in a row now, the first woman since Azarenka, her compatriot to defend, I mean, just a fantastic uh, fantastic tournament. Yeah, and Arena's pretty good on all surfaces. I mean, she's made, I think, the, at least the semis in her last six Grand Slam main draw appearances that includes rg where she was within a whisker of reaching the final she's good at wimbledon i mean this could be the beginning of a really good year for her do you think it's you know you don't really count her out in any of these majors i know Iga's the the player to beat on clay she probably will be for years but i mean arena's in a pretty good spot to maybe make a push for number one year and number one and more majors and i think she's already solidified probably her spot in the hall of fame with just those last two weeks. So, I mean, what kind of a future do you see for Sabalenka? What, she's 25? She's really come into her own on so many levels in the last, say, say two seasons with, um, you know, just overcoming some of the demons, the troubles she had with her serve, the, the clarity in her head. The, I mean, she's just playing with such a... She's playing in a way that... Her self-belief is carrying her in these matches. She's like, there's just no more doubt. It seems. Is that for me? That's for <laughs> that's, that's for, for anybody. I don't know. I'm just uh, I'm just I'll thinking just out this. loud. I think I was just saying. Going to say briefly. I think we all knew like that she had this ability to have these kind of performances. We but this we just didn't know it was going to happen several years ago because of the demons, like you talked about, the self-belief. Now she has all that, and this is what we expected. Like she has the game to, as Richard said, command from yes. start to finish. So it was just putting it all together in her head. And now that she's done that, she's going to be very hard to beat this year. Um, so I'll be fascinated to see how she how she responds, how the rest of the tour responds, because she's now. This is what we expected all along. It's just taken her a while to get there. Yeah. Now that she's here, uh, Sabalenka 2.0. Uh, she's going to be very hard to beat this year. Totally. Richard, anything to add on that? I mean, she's signed in her fitness trainer's head. She's got 30 wins in her last 33 Grand Slam matches. She's doing the catwalk with the trophy. I mean, it's just like it's coming easy to Arena right now. Yeah, I think it's a good point because she seems comfortable in the role of a champion, and that's a real big thing because some people are just not comfortable in the spotlight or answering the questions about number one or being the reigning champion. And she seems like she's having a good time with it. And why wouldn't you have a good time with it when you're beating the hell out of everybody across the net? So, yeah, I totally agree with everything you guys said. I think she's going to be... On every surface, she's going to be a threat at every major. The thing for me that's going to be fascinating is, you know, you have Osaka coming back, even though she went out to Garcia. You have someone like Anna Samova, who Sabalenka beat and beat decisively, but still, I was really encouraged by what Anna Samova showed down under. You have her coming back. She's still young. Iga's still very young. Coco's obviously still very young. Someone like Raducanu is trying to get it back, and then to me, someone like Andreva, she's 16 years old. I mean, she showed a lot. And then these other players that really impressed me during this tournament were Kostic and uh, Kalianskaya because of their ability to play all court. 
And so I think it's good. Yeah, I absolutely agree. She's going to be there in every major, but I don't know if it's going to be as dominant because I think there's going to be, we're going to see pushes from, look at someone like Yastrzemska coming from qualifying, almost made it to the final. Incredible. Yep. yep. Good point. And I wanted to touch on that briefly. The the carnage, the draw chaos that we saw um, in the top half with Iga going out in the third round to Noskoville, which was a great performance by Noskoville, which is a great display of power tennis. And then, of course, uh, Rybakina went out in that epic with that crazy tiebreaker in the second round. Pagula went down. I mean, do you, Eric, do you think this is um, a sign of, you know, lack of quality play from the top seeds, or is it maybe just a sign of depth and excitement on tour, or can it be both? I think it's mostly the depth. I mean, and we've seen this before at other majors where one half of the women's side of the draw is a wide open, what have you. There's just so much depth right now. Um, I also think because it's a hard court major, it's a little bit of an equalizer for players. Um, So players that have more experience on clay or favorite player or grass uh, uh, have a bit of an advantage. So hard court's the equalizer there. I just think there's just so much depth in the women's game that every match you have to treat it like a final. It's like, I don't care what they're ranked. Uh, Like you look at Yastrzemska, she came through qualifying, but she just had a game that was – that proved that uh, she almost made it to the final. So, I mean, you just never know. You can't, I think the qualifiers actually, because they have those early rounds that helps them. Yeah. Um, so I just think we're going to, I think we're going to see more of that. It's just, there's too much depth in the women's game right now. Yeah. It's fascinating. Yes. Stremska, the first uh, women's singles qualifier to reach the last four at the Aussie open since Christine Dory in 1978. Um, Richard, if I turn it back to you, and I switch gears and talk about the runner-up. Zhang Chinwen didn't face a top 50 player getting to the final, but still, she handled the business nicely, and I think this is a player who's kind of following through on her potential. Did we see enough from her, given that she didn't face any, any players that are higher ranked, but, but again, there's depth on tour, and she did face a lot of good players. Did we see enough for her to think she's going to become a mainstay at the slams? What did we see that we liked from her? What impresses about this young talent? Well, I'm going to brag because I picked her as one of my dark horses. So I definitely like her. I like her. I like her game, and I want to say that you're you're exactly right. She didn't face a top fifty opponent on route to the final, but I'd say when she beat her compatriot Wang, and that was a third set breaker. That was a match where she showed me a lot because the pressure was all on her. She's playing another yeah. Chinese woman, but an older player, more experienced player, and man, she could have lost that match, and she came through with some beautiful strikes. So just the way she hits the ball, her top spin on the forehand, especially, she can make a jump, but she can hit the back. Her strokes, I mean, I'm impressed with her strokes. She's tall. She has nice long reach. She hits the ball well on the I think that, you know, the challenge for her, she's got to get physically stronger, I feel, for the longer matches. But also the serve has some a few hitches, especially on the toss, where it can sort of go to the right. And when she gets tight, you start to catch the toss in some of those matches. But those are correctable things. And the other thing I thought was really, really cool about her, sort of in a karmic way, was remember at the end of last year where Wimfasset left her to go back to Osaka, which you can't really blame him, you know, because he's going to make a hell of a lot more money with Osaka, but, you know, she was really, really upset by that. She said she cried. She was distraught because she knew she was on the cusp. She knew she was on the verge of really coming through, and now the coach walks out on her. And then to reunite with Per Reba, who had, after the Coco U.S. Open, they 
parted. And then for them to make this run together, I thought that was just a beautiful thing for her because she was really, I felt really distraught after after the split with the coach and to get it all back together and then have Lee Na there. It was just a really, yeah. it was a fun run for her, for yeah. sure. She displayed a lot of strength of character and, and alluding to her wins. I mean, she, there were a lot of hot players, as we talked about, in that top half that kind of created surprises and got deep in the draw, and she took them all out. Dodan in the fourth round, 6-love, six 6-3. Six then Kalinskaya, who you mentioned, was playing incredible tennis. She took her out in a very tough three-setter. And then Yastremska, she took down four and four. So those wins are pretty impressive, despite the rankings of the players she faced. Um, we'll move it on to a last question to you guys. Um, and, and I just want to hear some of your thoughts on the, on the broadly on the tournament overall. What were your fav- favorite maybe surprise heroes, guys that didn't maybe make it to the semis or whatnot, but that really impressed you and gave you, you know, good vibes, happy slam vibes. And I'll start with you, Eric, on that. Uh Give me a moment to think about it. Go to register first. Yeah, yeah, Fair I enough. Have, Take your time. Do some Googling. I, I have two quick ones. One was the, even though I picked her to go deep and she lost, the uh, Rabakina-Blinkova match. That was okay. the longest uh, tie, I believe the longest final singles tie break in Grand Slam yep. history. That was one of the most epic, dramatic, I mean, I'm not going to say the quality of the match was the best, but that ending of the match was just unbelievable. I mean, that was just what tennis is about, what Grand Slam tennis, that was just an insane tiebreaker from both of them. And that even though, you know, she knocked out the third seed, the former Wimbledon champ, it was just great to see because it was like a career moment, a lifetime moment, and she appreciated it so much, the fans and the people. So that was, I'll never forget the end of that match, the Blinkova beating Rabakina. The other one that, who's a legend, for me personally is just uh, Shay Su Wei you know at her age Chris you wrote a good really good article about her coming back you know the mixed and the end with Mertens in the doubles and they had some tough matches and just to see her and her the way she plays she's so special so unique and just her demeanor her disposition the way she is around people I just really God, I just feel so privileged to watch her. She's just such an inspiration, even to me. I'm, I'm older than her, obviously, but just to go out and play, you feel like, God, she does it so well. Like, there's a future for me, even though I'm old, you know? <laughs> She's amazing. She's, oh, God, go out and watch her play doubles, anybody who's on site. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Especially in the mixed, when you see her returning against the men, I mean, it's just unbelievable. What she does with her ball skill, her ball control is just incredible. Yeah, uh, good ones, Richard. And Eric, I'll give you a few more seconds, and I'll point out that for me, I was impressed by a couple of Frenchmen. Arthur Cazot, incredible serve, got all the way to the fourth round, I think. Um, great performance from, from him, b- virtually unknown in terms of success at the slams. Manorino was big for me, 35-year-old, beat Ben Shelton in a five-setter. He's the top-ranked Frenchman right now, definitely impressed by him. And I think Ukrainian women really showed up strong with Kostyuk and Yastremska and Svitolina all making the second week. That, those are some of the moments that stick out to me. And Eric, you can, if you're ready for with uh, some of your thoughts, yep. I'm ready for you. Yeah. So I want to give a shout-out to Taylor Fritz uh, yeah. for reaching the quarters. I thought that was a great effort for him. Uh, Barbara Krajikova, great to see her back in the mix uh, at a major. And um, But for me, Rohan Bupana yes. uh, was an incredible story at age 43. Now uh, let become the oldest first-time men's doubles number one but now winning his first uh, major doubles title with matthew ebden so that was a great uh story right there for sure that's huge yeah i mean um that was a special moment we got some really good stuff from the doubles always good to try and pay attention to those as much as you are um 
worn down by all the work we're doing on these huge singles matches. There were some great doubles moments, and that's uh, that's good stuff. I think we're out of time today, but um, guys, good stuff. By the way, one last thing: who were your pre-tournament picks, and did, did were we correct? I know I was wrong. I always no. Say, but... Eric, Eric picked Sinner. I think Eric didn't you no, say Sinner? I, I I picked Djokovic because it was his house. So As there's, did I. there's now a new owner of the house. I picked Goff, but okay, that was, that, that was close. <laughs> Richard, who'd you go with? I picked Djokovic, and but then you you asked us if not Djokovic, who, and I said Sinner or Alcaraz. Yes, good man. Of, we'll not, give you I points. Pick Djokovic. I have to be honest. I picked Djokovic. And on the women's sure. side, uh, who did I did I pick? Rabakina or Coco? I think I picked Coco. Not Sabalenka, I though. Rabakina. I said Sabalenka had the best draw, but I think I picked Coco. Okay. Uh, and Coco played well. You know, I mean, she played poorly at times and won, and then played well at others. I mean, can't argue with. And the she hit nine doubles in that match. If you if she could just cut that down, I mean, you're basically giving away two free games of doubles. If she could reduce that a little bit, you know, she's in there with a chance. Yeah. For sure. And I picked Novak, of course. And I said I'll always pick him until he proves it's not his house anymore. So next year might be different. And I picked uh, Iga. And I was dead wrong on that. I just had a feeling about her preseason. But you know what? Who cares if you're wrong? It's great, it's great that we had these champions. And it was a great Aussie Open fortnight. And you guys, awesome to chat. We'll uh, we'll be doing this regularly this year. So we'll uh, look forward to get, t- get in touch sometime in February to find something cool to talk about. Because we know in the tennis world... There's always something cool to talk about. So thank you, Eric and Richard, for joining. Thank you. Thank you, guys. and great speaking to you. This edition of the Lucky Let Court Podcast is a wrap. Special thanks to Richard and Eric for joining, as always, and for their insights on what was a tremendous 2024 Australian Open. You guys can always find Tennis Now on the web, social media, facebook.com slash tennis now, Twitter at tennis underscore now. And of course, we love it if you rate, review, subscribe to this podcast. Just go into your Apple podcast, type in Lucky Let Cord Podcast, and voila. Appreciate your input and appreciate that fact that you're listening to us. It means a lot. You can find us wherever you find your podcast. Spotify is a good place. That's where I like to listen to it sometimes. But thanks again for... Uh, tuning into our podcast and we look forward to getting back with you soon certainly in the month of february teeing up for indian wells miami and the like it's going to be a great 2024 tennis season of course it is and we're glad to have you guys with us and we'll speak to you soon